Welcome first-time listeners and returners to the Sports Deli. To find out more about the Sports Deli Podcast, check us out online at thesportsdelipodcast.com. The show's not about you, it's about Colette. What the hell? <laughs> Stephen A. Smith is my alter ego. I'm the female version of Stephen A. Smith, yes. so go somewhere else with that <laughs> John, she's roasting your ass right from the jump. We ain't done the intro yet. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, so to me, Colin Kaepernick is is a hero in the same way that John Carlos and Tommy Smith were heroes. So, do you have white privilege? Absolutely. I, I don't. I, I think there's a there's a balance between the idea of universal white privilege and. Uh, and it doesn't exist. That now we have to be a voice as white people and, and black people are gonna to listen to black people and white people are gonna to listen to white people. Like there's gonna be people on your show that are gonna to listen to you even if LeBron said the exact same thing. So I'm there and a, and a gentleman walks in, Mike, and says, hey, are you Chantel? And I'm like, yeah. And African-American women last year changed the course of this, of this nation. I'm 56 years old now. And so from the time I was 18, um, I've known Coach K. I love calling games. I love yeah. doing a, a daily show because, I mean, I'm probably like you. I wake up with something to say every day. I get to work closely with the people over at Jordan and, and now with Nike. You know, we understand that women are the backbone, and now we need to support the souls that they stand on. Congress took up legislation for mandatory minimums for drug offenses that were disproportionately affecting African-Americans. And those federal sentencing guidelines and mandatory minimums made no sense at all. And, and they were wrong then and they are wrong now. Much thanks to Dr. Auntie Chantel, Jay Billis, Colette Smith, and Doug Gottlieb for that intro. And now whether you're folding laundry, driving, exercising, or cooking, grab your favorite deli sandwich or bagel and your favorite beverage. And let's do this together. In this Auntie, take us away. <laughs> We're so honored on this ninth day of National Immunization and National Hair Loss Awareness Month to be joined by Roanoke, Virginia's George Lynch. Randolph Childress, Dennis Scott, and George all played in the NBA and all went to Flint Hill High School in Virginia. He was Mr. Basketball in Virginia in 1989 and played in the McDonald's All-American game alongside Bobby Hurley and Kenny Anderson, who will ironically be on the show tomorrow. On the opposing team was none other than Hall of Famer and four-time NBA champ, now turned business owner and analyst on TNT's Inside the NBA, Shaquille O'Neal. He also won a state high school basketball championship at Patrick Henry High, which is where he went before transferring to Flint Hill as a senior. That Patrick Henry team included Russell Turner, current head men's basketball coach, at UC Irvine. George attended the University of North Carolina to play for Hall of Fame coach Dean Smith, where he won a national championship in 1993 against the Fab Five Chris Weber-led Michigan Wolverines, who called the infamous timeout that they did not have. He was drafted 12th overall by the Los Angeles Lakers in 1993, went on to play for five NBA teams over a 12-year NBA career, his first year, he played with Danny Shays, who will also be coming on the show in 24 days. He was born the same year as Queen Latifah, Master P, and the late DMX. He played with the likes of Hall of Famer Big Game James Worthy, Kurt Rambis, Hall of Famer AI, Tony Kukoc, Dikembe, Bad Boy Rick Mahorn, Magic, and current North Carolina head coach 
Hubert Davis. He played for and then coached under Hall of Fame coach Larry Brown. And since retiring, he's been an assistant coach, a strength and conditioning coach, a player development coach, an assistant athletic director, and a head coach. He's the founder of Flight 9 Academy and co-founder of HBCU Heroes. He's on NBA 2K. You can find him on Instagram at George Lynch Coach. Lynch is with a Y. And at hbcuheroes.org and on Twitter at G Lynch Coach. George, we're uh, honored that we could find time to get you that karma right here on the Sports Deli, man. Welcome. Hey, that was a lot of research done right there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. We uh, always talk about it with uh, my co-hosts when they're able to come on, uh, whether we should do that in post-production. And we just sort of like the reactions of everybody when we talk about some of that stuff. So we're, we're glad that uh, you're here and honored. And, um, you know, we had Matt Doherty on from Carolina. We've had Jay from Duke. You know, we'll, you know we're always just trying to listen and learn. Um, you know, about a lot of different things. And, and, you know, I always reference Jay because, you know, he talked about growing up, uh, how he had a great experience as a youth, but in high school, it was just a terrible experience with a guy who was, you know, probably a good guy off the court, but as a coach, it was, it was a scarring experience for him. And so you went to two different high schools, but, but talk a little bit about, you know, cause there's a lot of people out there who listen. I got a client of mine who, uh, got cut three times already. And he has aspirations to play college ball. You know, I got cut three times. So what, what kind of experience did you have as a kid? And, and what are the differences now? Because, you know, back then we always talk about on the show a lot. Oh, you just go out and play street ball. And if you lost, you had to wait an hour and a half. And, you know, you played hard and you learned on the streets. And, you know, now it's like everyone's in AAU, you know, and it's just a whole, it's a whole different vibe. So t talk about your childhood and, and, and uh, you know, how that helped you you know, really in those two high school situations? I think um, it, it's funny you bring that up because, you know, you can almost tell a person's age when if they say they played in the parks. Hey, that's for <laughs> real. Yes. So, so um, but yes, I cut my teeth in the playground, playing with older guys, grown men, sitting and waiting for an hour, only getting yeah. the opportunity to play right before, you know, the last one or two games. But you, 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 you spent your time there in the park for hours, hours, sitting in the sun. You know, my park didn't have a, a bench to sit on, so you stood up or leaned against the fence or sat on the trash can, wherever you could yeah. find a seat. But it was some great games. Uh, you know, a lot better players came through my parks uh, than I was. At least I think they were, uh, you know. Yeah. You know, but a lot of them just decided they didn't want to go to class. They didn't want to, you know something that kept them away from playing organized basketball. Mm. Um, but I have a 15 year old that's playing now and I yeah. try to tell him all the time. I try to tell his friends and his teammates, you know, uh, you guys only play when it's structured and organized, just go out and play. And uh, yeah. they, they, they haven't quite figured it out. So, so the game has changed a little bit. Um, you know, there's a lot more research done, medical research as far as, overuse injuries right. um, with guys playing so many AAU games doing it uh, nowadays. Um, you know, I look back on it. I played football. I dabbled in a little bit of soccer and baseball. Yeah. Um, so I played all year. I played sports all year round, which gave me an opportunity to, to rest my body. Um, you know, take some time off, be a kid. You know, nowadays these kids specialize. They, you know, they either a guard or 
or, 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 you know, pretty much labeled at a position where if you go to the park, you know, every day you played or every game, you had to play a different position to win. Um, so I grew up, you know, depending who my team was, I might've been the center. I might've been the point guard. You know, I might've been the sixth or seventh man. Like I said, just depend on who the picks were uh, that day at the park. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, you know, I grew up in Detroit and, you know, I didn't get much burn because I wasn't great back then, but at least I went, at least I, you know, it really helped me later uh, more than anything because man, you would not out trash talk me. You would, yeah. not, I, there was no one tougher. I would dive after every loose ball because, you know, sometimes that's the best thing that ever happens to you is, is, you know, you learn those lessons when you're young and, and then you don't realize how they help you later. There's a lot of things that I've been doing on this podcast that I, I just didn't even think about until I started talking to people about it, whether it's music or if you're a sneakerhead or, you know, this type of thing playing in the streets. So it's, it, it's interesting that you talked about that. So, um, so you take that into organized situations and did you, when did you know that you were good enough to, you know, be recruited by some of the top schools in the country? In the, in the parks, in the neighborhood, I knew I was kind of good around the eighth and ninth grade. But, but how did you, how did you get better back then? Like, you know, now we have all kinds of uh, social media, YouTube, you can watch a play, you can pause it. You know, we had barely had VHSs back then. Like what, what were you doing back then? You know, you were great at mid range, obviously you were, you were strong. It was, it was funny because when I look back on it in the seventh and eighth grade, it was just a gang of us. It was about five or six of them, probably a couple of my cousins, yeah. a couple of kids who played on my, you know, local youth team. We would just park. We would just hop parks, go from one park to another, trying to find a game. Uh, I think right around the seventh, eighth grade, uh, we were probably in our little neighborhood in the little projects we lived in. Um, we were probably, if we had our our, our five or six main guys, mm-hmm. we were probably running the courts by the end. Um, up, well, I wouldn't say we were running the courts, but. Any seventh or eighth grader up to about the 10th grade who stepped on the court with us, they couldn't hold us. So we used to go from <laughs> park to park trying to find find a competitive game. Yeah. And, you know, at the time, you know, it was probably an hour walk, you know, yeah. a 30-minute bike ride. Wow. You know, uh, we would just go around like, look, we going over here. They got some games. And and try to find the best competition. And sometimes it was, it was grown men and that's where we cut our teeth. And, and then by the time I say, you know, we got to 10th grade, you know, we were playing a little AAU basketball. Um, It was a little bit more organized then because my high school teammates, like I said, you, you mentioned Russell Turner, Russell Turner was um, um, the starting center on the team. Wow. And so we had guys, our front line was Russell Turner, 6'6". Six, six. I was 6'6". Six, six. Wow. Uh, the other forward, power forward, was Melvin Davis. He was about 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, and then Curtis Blair, who yep. you didn't mention, he's an official in the NBA. He played at Richmond. We had That's five right. guys. We had six guys on that team play D- Division One yep. basketball. Yep. So we were a good team. So right around the 10th and 11th grade, we knew we were good. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and then it got, got a little bit tougher for us to find competition from going park to park. Uh, So we were able just to, you know, play AAU basketball. We have some college guys 
coming back to our hometown and try to find games. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's how we that's how we did it. Um, you know, it wasn't a lot of AAU. I look at this, you know, I tell my son all the time, I said, we would probably play three AAU tournaments the whole year before we went to nationals. Right. They play. That's crazy. They play 20. They play every other weekend. Crazy. You know, so it, the game was totally different. Yeah. So you want a state championship and then you go to, uh, you know, an academy to, you know, maybe get more exposure and then talk, talk about, because I want to sort of transition into what the differences now are in terms of the recruiting process you coached uh, you know how this process works and how more delicate this process is. I think for coaches, you know, coach K, this is his last year. Uh, we've lost a lot of coaches in the last uh, year, you know, um, John Shaney and big John and uh, Lute Olson. And there's a lot of guys uh, from that, you know, the, that old cloth that are gone now. And so the, the process is different. What they take the transfer portal, <laughs> you know, the whole thing is just, it's just a shit show. Um, but, but talk about that recruiting process, how it was for you and, and that, that kind of decision, you know, why you went to Carolina, not Virginia. Uh, <laughs> so, 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 so the recruiting process for me, um, you know, of course I, I was a Virginia guy. All right. my cousins went to UVA. Man. Um, you know, uh, I wanted to, I wanted to leave and just go outside of the state, not too yeah. far. I knew I wanted to play in the ACC. My first, my first option was the University of Maryland. I was a big right. Lynn Bowden fan, oh. and um, and so after we won state championship, most of the guys on that team was a year ahead of me. They were seniors: Russell Turner, Rich, Curtis Blair. Right. You know, all the guys was in the starting lineup. I, I think I was the only junior. Mm-hmm. And um, so, right around spring break, I took a visit up to Flint Hill, um, and. Actually, how I, how, I, how I came about Flint Hill, my uncles and my dad did they research, hmm. and because Oak Hill was a I lot I was going to say Oak Hill, right, yeah. Yeah, Oak Hill was a lot closer. And, right. But at the time, uh, you know, Oak Hill was, was getting a bad rep um, about what type of kids were going to Oak Hill. Yeah. And um, my uncle said, you ought to look at Flint Hill. I had an aunt living in the D.C. area. So when I went up to Flint Hill, um, you know, North Carolina wasn't recruiting me. They had heard about me, but because of the conference I played in, um, it wasn't as, I think the conference was tough. We were just better than everybody else. We were, we were top 25. We were looking at USA Today every weekend to see where (laughs) we were ranked. Um, Yeah, we had played, you know, we had the the team we had been together for two or three years uh, on the AAU circuit and high school, and my goal was to eventually play in the ACC. Yeah. And you know I had I had schools like Louisville who was in the Metro Conference, Virginia Tech was Metro yeah. Conference. I had a lot of the schools recruiting me, but not too many of the ACC schools. Duke wasn't recruiting me. Carolina was showing a little bit interest, but they were like, well, we need to see if you could play at this level. And so what I had to do was they wanted to see me play against ACC caliber competition um, every day. So when I went up to Flint Hill, I was playing in the Kinder League, which is a college summer league. Oh, yeah. My 
so so my Kinder League team was Alonzo Morning. Oh my God. Who we beat in the state uh, semifinals. So my my Kinder League team at Georgetown was Alonzo Morning, Matumbo, oh Mark Tillman. Wow. And, and we were playing against George Washington, American University, wow. guys from University of Maryland. Uh, it was a it was the best time. Those, the nineties in George in DC yep. area basketball was great. Man. And um, yep. so when I went to Flint Hill, I was in a uh, I was introduced to weights. I was introduced to a running program. Mm -hmm. I was introduced to study hall, and that that prepared me for my freshman year at Carolina, mm -hmm. or my freshman year at college anywhere. Yeah, uh, you know it took it took my game to a whole nother level. Uh, spending a year and a half mm -hmm. in the weight room before I got to college, and that's where I knew playing with those guys, I knew that I could play at a high, high major D1 school. The Sports Deli is sponsored by SportRx. SportRx is the leader in sports prescription eyewear. You can find them online at sportrx.com. And don't forget to enter the code DELI10 at checkout for your special 10% discount. And now back to this incredible interview right here in the Sports Deli. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I remember when Bill Curry was on the show, he played for Vince Lombardi and he talked about um, how coach Lombardi before his time would not tolerate any form of inequality. He didn't care who it was. And, you know, so I asked this question because, you know, I know some things about coach Smith, but you know, I, I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination, you know, and, and he obviously recruited MJ and, and a lot of others. How did, how, because the brotherhood, you, you always hear about the brotherhood with Carolina and Duke, you know, and, and Michigan, you know, was, was fractured for a while and UCLA was fractured for a while. And this is an important thing um, that that legacy uh, continues, but, but how did coach Smith handle uh, people from different backgrounds and what, what were some of his strengths and weaknesses, uh, you know, when you were there? Well, he always, he, 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 he. When I went on my recruiting visit, you know, he said we don't recruit three or four guys from the same area. Uh, Interesting. I think we had, uh, when I was at Carolina, we had two guys from Europe. Mm. We had uh, two or three guys from Virginia, uh, two guys from New York, you know, couple, about three or four players from North Carolina, but different parts of North Carolina, the mountains, the beach. You know, they were from all over. So although we were young and college students, but we were we were almost like, you know, a bunch of guys from different backgrounds. So we were able to, and he encouraged us like for Christmas and Thanksgiving, you should go go home with a teammate, hmm. you know, to experience how they live. I mean, he, he would always say, you know, don't judge a man unless you walked in his shoes for 34 moons. He always mm. had some type of quote that made you think about mm. um, think about life or think about what another person could be going through before you judge them. And um, it was, you know, it was great. Cause like I said, when I got to Carolina, Rick Fox was from the Bahamas. Right. Um, you know, King Rice was from New York. Yeah. Uh, you know, Hubert Davis was from Virginia. I was from Virginia, but I was from the Southern part of Virginia, Southwestern part, and Hubert was from the Northern part. So mm. 
although we were both from Virginia, it was totally two different uh, experiences growing up in Virginia. Yeah, that's cool. And so you win a national championship your senior year. Talk about that run. How 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 was that? And and um, you know the the ups and downs and and uh, just dealing with you know four different teams and you know this is it and. Uh, obviously the, you know, the Michigan part of it, um, you know, was a big part of it, but, but how, how, look at, you know, time flies, right. It's, it's 30 years, you know, and so you're far removed from it, but uh, you know, it's just something that nobody can ever take away from you. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it, it was funny because, you know, when coming through the ACC, but those four years, um, it was Duke, it was Carolina. Yeah. You know, if you wanted to go to a Final Four, to guarantee your uh, except going to a Final Four, you had to go to either Duke or Carolina. Yeah. And um, my sophomore year, we went to the Final Four, um, um, but we ended up losing to Kansas by four. Um, we were a good team. We just, we just, for some reason, that that first game in the Final Four, we couldn't couldn't get over the hump, but. But the whole experience about going to North Carolina, that was the expectations, part of the expectations. Final four every year. If it's if you're not in the final four, it's a busted year. Um yep. and and just experiencing. Uh not only did the, did the players and the coaches expect to go to the final four, but the students on campus, the everyday yeah, students. Right. Yeah. And so it was always talk about going to the final four and then eight miles down the road, Duke had just won two final fours. <laughs> right, yeah. So, so, so living, living with that, the pressure on campus of, of taking the team back to the final four. Yeah. And then on top of that, you know, the team down the road had just won back to backs. Yeah. Uh, going into my senior year, that was my total focus, yeah. getting us back to the final four. Uh, we knew we were a good team. We had been through a lot. We experienced a lot. The freshman class that came in under me was the original five five. You know, with right. Brian Reeves, Donna Williams, not Donna Williams, Brian Reeves, Pat Sullivan, uh, Eric Montrose, Derek yeah. Fell, Clifford Rozier. Um, those guys came in with a lot of hype. And um, yeah. you know, but 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 Michigan did it with a little bit more swag. Yep. And uh we knew we were a good team. We didn't boast and brag about it. Our conference made sure we were tested. You know, we had to go through Florida State. You know, Duke was competitive. Yeah. Uh, Virginia always was tough at Virginia. Yeah. And then, you know, down the road, you know, Wake Forest had a great team that year with Rodney Rogers and Randolph. That's right. Jones. Yep. So we knew we were battle tested uh, the whole year. Um, we had played Michigan. In, in in Hawaii and uh, right around Christmas time, and we knew we knew we were we were just as good as them, so we weren't afraid. We didn't we didn't uh, get caught up in all the hype and everything that was going on around them. We just stayed focused as a team. We had Coach Smith and Bill Guffridge on our sideline, yeah. so we knew we were going to be prepared uh, and ready to play, no matter who the opponent was. How were the scouting reports back then? Because now they're so detailed with video and all that kind of stuff. Like, did you guys, if if you didn't memorize your scouting report, was Coach pissed? Oh, um, we watched film every day. 
Yeah. Uh, we probably we watch more film than I watched in the NBA. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it, he, huh. his his coaching staff with uh, Randy Will, Phil Ford, Dave mm. Hanners, mm. Bill Guffridge, uh spent lots and lots of hours. Wow. Um, you know, editing film, preparing us, but he was more about um what we needed to do if we played the way we played where we needed to play um we were going to make teams adjust to us right so and that was not a stone unturned i mean wow. I, I tell people because people ask that question a lot how was practices i remember this was man it was in the middle of the acc conference it had to be right around january middle of February or beginning of February, right before the ACC tournament. And we will always have a practice. At the end of every practice, it would, he would call something situational. So it would be some type of game situation. Yeah, right. So um, he would give the second team, which he called the blue team, 10 points, 15 points, put two or three minutes on the clock, and we had to come back. And if you didn't come back, there was always consequences for losers and winners. Hmm. And of course, he handicapped the starters. Um, so there was one situation where we up, we down nine or 10 points, maybe two minutes, maybe a minute and 50 seconds left in the game. This was at the end of a four hour practice. Now, back then, you could have a four hour practice right. or you could <laughs> practice until you got it right. It wasn't like, okay, these kids now, they looking at the clock. Oh, coach, we've been going an hour and a half. Right. We over our minutes. No, it wasn't none of that. So we in, we in this situation <laughs> after practicing about three, four hours, and he put time on the clock. We down nine to ten points. We making a comeback. Donald Williams, um, we get the game. It had to be a two- or three-point game. Donna Williams, somehow we got a deflection. Donna Williams dives on the floor for a loose ball. He's about to get tied up. He calls a timeout. Mm. Coach Smith, you had never seen someone, this was in a practice in a situation. You had never seen a coach so mad over a kid calling a timeout. Wow. And he it was a one possession us, game. Right. He puts us on the end line, tells us, no one calls a timeout unless I tell you call a timeout. <laughs> and then back then, you know, kids probably don't know what a suicide or lines were nowadays. <laughs> he puts us, now this was, we had been in the gym for three or four hours. He puts us on the line and I swear we run about 20 more lines. Oh time. Well, everything no. was time. Everything was charted. Loose balls, no box outs, deflection, wow. steals. We had, we had seven or eight managers that would stand around the court. The coaches would stand on the end lines. So if you didn't touch the line, it didn't count. Right. Wow. So that's how detailed his practices were. Wow. And, and then you, we get to the Final Four game. You know, Michigan loses, calls a timeout, gets a yeah. tech. Yeah. You know, so we were prepared for everything. And those, it was, those are the type of practices that Coach Smith ran. Mm -hmm. Um, did you know they, my, did you know they had, yeah. Did you know they had no timeouts left? So it's funny. It's funny because if you go back and look at the film, 
when we played them in Hawaii. For some reason, Jalen Rose would always take the ball out and Chris Webber would bring it up. So we would, if you go back to that game, I told Derek Phelps, mm. I said, listen, D, anytime Jalen takes the ball out, we're just going to do a two-man press mm. and we'll send Montrose back to protect mm. the rims. Right. Um, I wasn't guarding Chris Webber. I was just like, look, if, if, if Jalen takes it out, I'm going to play up. I get back to Dewan Howard when they cross yeah. half court. Yeah. And, um, you know, throughout the game, they were just didn't have a press offense. And um, we get to the we get to the Superdome. You know, again, Coach Smith is always aware of how many timeouts both teams have. Right. And for some reason, Jalen was taking the ball out, and we just we just well, he, made him burn the return and, pass, probably right. So he go to the, you know. Yeah, the, yeah, but they were they were. It was it was weird because the rest of the team was running down the court, the rest right. of the ball handlers, yeah. and Chris Webber was left to bring it up and get it in with two people. And it worked to our favor. You know, yeah. we always practice, use the sidelines as an extra defender. Yeah, I knew once he, he dribbled it past half court, he couldn't go back. Yeah. We yeah. just forced him to the sideline. Um, wow. The timeout before they burned that one, our coaching staff told us that they they didn't have any more timeouts. Interesting, because I had never heard that part before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. So uh, I asked you earlier, you know, how'd you know you were ready to to get recruited to that level? Um, you know, obviously you hire an agent, and you know you're you're projected to go in the first round. And so, what? But more importantly, um, you know, now how's the mindset different to, to take it to that level? And and you know, I want to talk about longevity and things like that because, you know, that matters as well as transitioning out and having an identity when you transition out and financial literacy. You know, there's some things that you know uh, weren't necessarily in place back then that they're trying to do a better job of now. But talk about how you are preparing yourself, not just physically, but mentally for so that. Excited game. to be supporting Moolah Kicks. They are the first female-only brand basketball shoe, and you can find them online at Moolah, Moolah is M-O-O-L-A-H, kicks, like shoes, K-I-C-K-S, plural, Moolah kicks. Of course, you know, guys would always come back to Chapel Hill. You know, mm-hmm. it was ACC, you had pro guys, Kenny Smith. Yeah. I think my first year there, you know, Mike came back, uh, Brad Doherty, mm-hmm. Kenny Smith. Uh, JRE was a pro. Wow. Uh, then you had a bunch of guys playing overseas. Rick Fox was a pro. Uh, you know, Pete Chilcutt. So the pickup games in the summer was great. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, they were, you could tell that they had, you know, been around. They knew the system a little bit. Sometimes you would be playing with freshmen. It was always the pros against the college guys. <laughs> so very seldom, very seldom that you got wins. Yeah. Uh, but you knew if you continue um, that you could hold your own, you know, yeah. you know, I would just play two years with Rick Fox, yeah. you know, Pete Chilcutt, Scott Williams. Yeah. And then, you know, guys like Michael, who has been in the league at that time, he had probably been in the league for four or five years. Yeah. You know, Kenny Smith. And they will always come back and, you know, tr- treat, um, teach you the tricks. 
Yeah, of course. And and so it was. I knew. I said, man, if I if I continue to get in the gym and listen to these guys, yeah. that I could be a pro. Um, and then you know, every night playing in the ACC, there was guys that was pros yeah, that you play against. Um, you know, every night that was having a lot of success at the NBA level. So, and then and then you know, and as far as you know, knowing if you're ready. It wasn't like then back, it wasn't like now where you get a, you get your uncle who had never played in the game, didn't play college basketball or your AAU coach who didn't play college basketball telling you, you should go one and done. Uh, you know, I had Dean Smith who yeah. could pick up the phone and call any GM and ask him if they thought I was ready to be a pro. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I just, I mean, I just, I was always a hard worker. Yes, uh, of course, yeah. I was, I was, I was blessed to be six, seven, six, eight. You know, I lived in the weight room. I, I, I constantly stayed in the gym. Um, so when the time was right and coach Smith said, look, you know, I've talked to some general managers and he told me, he said, you're going to go anywhere from nine to 13. Wow. And uh, and that's where I was. I landed at number yeah. twelve. Yeah. So, um, you know, you played for a few different clubs. Uh, I'm sure you've been asked this question before, but but how was it playing with AI? You know, he had been through some stuff uh, at Georgetown. Um, you know, and and Rashawn and Mike Sweetney and other guys that have come on. You know, they've they've Sam Vincent. You know, they've talked about some of the challenges of being um, African American. Um, and, you know, being in the league in, in certain respects, uh, you know, um, Jelani came on and just talked about his experience with uh, Coach Westfall, which blew me away because the only thing I remember with him was, you know, just being a phenomenal player. And then, you know, turns out that, uh, you know, he did some stuff that was just, you know, whacked. But, um, you know, I want to talk specifically on the other side of the spectrum about Larry Brown, who was the ultimate teacher. And you worked for him later, but, uh, you know, you played under him. Uh, and how was that experience? Do you think anyone else in that position would have, would have helped uh, AI get to that level and, and get to the finals that year that you, the team you were on? You know, AI, if, if you ask me, AI was probably one of the best teammates that I played for in my 12 years. Wow. You know, and, and when I say, when I say teammates, he was on another level. I'm talking about guys who were considered franchise players. Right. You know, I played with Magic. I played, you know, James Worthy one year um, when I was with the Lakers. Uh, you know, when I got to Vancouver, the franchise player was Big Country Reeves and Sharif yeah. Abdul-Rahim. Yep. Then when I got to Philly, it was AI. When I was at the Hornets, it was Jamal Mashburn and, mm. and Baron Davis. Right. You know, Allen probably had more talent than all those guys. No. I mean, he was he was gifted. He could have played football. He probably could have played hockey. He probably, if he wanted to play golf, <laughs> he could have played golf. No. Uh, but he was a, he didn't take days off. And, well, I mean, you know, when you're a pro in the middle of the season, nobody really practices. Yeah. So when they, when they make a big deal of AI missing practices and things like that, the man was playing. 48 minutes a game, wasn't coming out of the game. 
Yeah. He was banged up all the time. Yeah. So, you know, and and then if you know the type of coach that Larry Brown is, yeah. Larry Brown is a teacher. Right. And it was always funny because Allen, you know, once he got lathered up and got loose, he just wanted to play. Yeah. He didn't want to stop. He didn't want to. And he was, he was so gifted that guys like myself, uh, Eric Snow, Aaron yeah. McHugh, you know, Theo Ratliff, Tyrone Hill, we had to pay attention to details and the scouting report, you know, to be successful. You know, Allen was just, if not the best player in the league through that run, he was top five. Yeah. So, I mean, teams were scheming, trying to stop him, and they couldn't stop him. <laughs> 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 so, not happening. Yeah. So, so it was, it was, it was different, but I respected him. We all played hard for Allen because we knew once the, once the game ball went up, yeah. he was going to give us a hundred percent. And I can't say that for a lot of the other franchise players I played with, you know, some guys took games off, missed games, yeah. faked injuries, faked like they were hurt, yeah. but Allen was going to play. He played hurt. He played with a broken finger, yeah. you know, whatever he, he you pretty much had to pull him off the court. That's a, that's fascinating. Um, how about the Philly fans? Oh, the Philly fans were great. <laughs> they were great. Best you know, fans uh, you ever played in front of? Best best fans I ever played in front of. Wow. Well, I wouldn't say you know we had good fans in L.A. when when Magic came back out of retirement. Yeah. But the Philly fans were loyal. They were yeah. going to be there, win, lose, draw, whatever. But they would let you know it. And I, it's funny because the situation with Ben Simmons, if you ask me, I think the fans have, 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 have wrote him off. And if it was any other, any other city, I would say come back and, you know, the fans will love you. Not in Philly, man. Once the fans in Philly give up on you, it's, it's a wrap. It's time to move yeah. on. So I wish him the best. But I think it's going to be tough if he come back to Philly. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure weighing on you. Uh, and he's stubborn, too. So that doesn't help matters. You know, I mean, yeah. it just seems like you should get at least a 15 footer. And that was, you know, one of the things that you did really well, besides boarding and 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 uh, playing great D. You know, you had to be able to stick that 15 footer when you're the fourth option because, you know, the ball's rotating from one side to the other. And, you know, you're you're the extra pass like Dennis Johnson. In the playoffs, yeah. DJ was hitting that 15 footer or Jerry Seasting or whatever. You know, when they're taking every other option away, you got you got to hit it. You can't be deferring all the time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's frustrating, especially you know, like I'm a professional skills trainer, and and I just I, it's just mind blowing to see like how these guys, some of these guys, got this far with what it looks like when they shoot. It's it's just it's just amazing. Right. So you're a girl. Yeah, I think, I think Go a lot ahead. Of yeah. I think a lot of times now with these big contracts, you know, and then these guys got all these guys around them, Ugh. you know, it's, it's hard for a coach to tell them, come on, get in the gym or, you know, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's mind boggling to me now because all these teams got their own practice facility. Right. You go in there anytime, you know, after dinner, you know, before he go to the club, he could take his clothes and, you know, 
shower at the arena. They make it so easy now. They feed the guys. So it wasn't like when we were going up, you had to go home and make sure you got a good meal in. Right. Uh, they have cooks right at the arena for these guys. So there's no right. reason for them not to spend another four or five hours working on their own individual game. Yeah. Well, a lot of guys around them, like you said. Uh, so as I was saying a second ago, so I want to ask you this. Uh, obviously, it's important that we talk about this on the show because, um, you know, a lot of people in, in my community listen to me and a lot of people in the black and brown community listen to people such as yourself. And because, you know, you have a platform to leverage those types of things and some of your endeavors that you're doing with HBCUs and with your kids and educating, you know, like you said, your, your son and his team. Um, and so, but I do want to ask you first, uh, because you, you have, you have an older son too, right? And then a younger son and a daughter, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, your daughter's a soccer player. Did she make a decision yet? Is that announced? Not yet. She's Not a yet. senior. Okay. She's oh, she's senior. a senior. Okay. So, uh, obviously for women, uh, really since the, the Me Too movement, the death of George Floyd, um, uh, things have changed. And there's been sort of a ripple effect. Uh, it's more encouraged now to speak out uh, on a lot of different fronts. Um, there's a lot of unity and support mm -hmm. that have not only changed elections, but have changed the way that people view equality, uh, women of color, the WNBA, women's sports. We're coming up on the 50th anniversary of Title IX next year. You know, so there's a lot of things that have happened since since the murder of George Floyd. Um, so from your experience, you know, obviously she's a soccer player, not necessarily basketball, but your son's a basketball player. First, I want to ask you about your daughter, her experience, and what, as a girl dad like Kobe, because I do want to touch on that if we have time, you know, how have you helped her navigate uh, being in, a, in spaces where women for the longest time have not been treated equally? Thanks, citylokes.com, where you can get your own personalized hats and phone cases, tees, accessories, and much, much more. I ordered two hats and they're amazing. Uh, one of them says the Sports Deli and it has a California license plate and the other one has a Michigan license plate and says speak up and dribble, Black Lives Matter. So check them out at citylokes.com and don't forget to enter the code the Sports Deli at checkout for your special 10% discount. Now back to this incredible interview right here in the Sports Deli. You know, it's, 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 it's interesting now because social media, uh, a lot of kids get so much information, good and bad, from social media. Yeah. And I talked to my daughter, you know, at her school at Miles Park here in Charlotte, they're going through this um, sexual harassment case where a girl who, um, didn't get her justice, um, you know, from a football player, well-off family, you know, the school didn't handle it uh, the way that, um, you know, was fair. Right. I don't know all the details, so I'm just, yeah. just talking about what I hear, yeah. you know, from the news and things like that. And I encouraged my daughter to speak out. I, I encouraged her. They had a protest where the girls on campus at Myers Park marched. I encouraged her to be a part of it. Uh, I encourage her because she is about to go off to college. And a lot of times young men and hormones on college campuses, yep. you know, get out of hand, especially when alcohol is involved. 
So I encourage her to speak out. She got two brothers. Yep. So I'm like, look, you, hey, you got to fight for yours, you know, so that, uh, you know, so she, I'm hoping from, from the things that I encourage her and, and give her the platform to step up and be supportive of other young women. Um, when she see things that's not right, uh, don't be afraid to speak out about it. Uh, and by her having two brothers, you know, stuck in the middle between two boys, right. they're always ganging up on her and she, <laughs> she's got to fight for it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping that that's going to make her a little tougher skin than, than the, the average girl who doesn't grow up around boys, um, on a college campus, uh, I think that by her playing sports and being involved, she she has the confidence uh, to speak out. And it's it's been it's been these last four or five years have been tough. I mean, you know, being a black and brown student, uh, you know, I think the good thing about it is, you know, sometimes when kids play sports, you learn to negotiate. Uh, you know, different personalities. And um, like white you know, personalities. Just, just, you know, you know, you might have a kid that's cocky. I got you. Know, and you got to learn how to deal with it. He's a teammate. You got to learn how to talk to him. You know, Coach Smith used to always tell us you got to learn how to, you know, step on a guy, step on someone's shoes without messing up the shine. <laughs> and I think a lot of kids today, you know, because they spend a lot of time on social media, they don't have communication skills. Right. And, um, you know, like you said, being a girl dad, that's where the fathers come in and have to talk to the girls about, you know, being strong, uh, you know, being, being able to speak your mind. Yeah. It's interesting. My daughter's 10 going on 20 and, yeah. uh, just in a lot of ways, like you said, the social media, I mean, she was swiping on the iPad at three years old. I mean, yeah. it's just, you know, every era, era is different, but um, well, that's, that's great. I think she's definitely prepared and wherever she ends up, um, you know, it's going to be an exciting time for you to not only watch her, but just see her grow and, and advocate for, uh, you know, things that are not, um, making them feel like uh they're bad for doing that it's a different time now and so to that point how proud were you of or not proud were you of the professional sports leagues in particular the nba and the WNBA, for how they stood up uh and this is a question i asked also a two-part question have you noticed more uh white allies than at any other time in your life when it comes to social injustice yes i think I mean, you get white and black allies. I mean, because being a professional athlete, a lot of guys, at least when I was coming up in the nineties, was afraid to speak out because exactly. they were afraid to lose. They were afraid they were afraid to lose endorsements. Right. And it was, you know, if you said five white guys, I could probably point out five black guys that, that wouldn't speak out. Right. And I think the biggest change was when Nike supported Calvin Kaepernick. And and then athletes who like a LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Carmelo Anthony, you know, they took a chance. They stood up, you know, at the at the Emmys and and yep. and had their little speech. It and, wasn't and felt it, until later, but but looking back on right. it, it was it was a big deal. 
Yeah, and it gave everybody power. Serena Williams, you know, yep. speaking out, um, you know, being a mom and giving women power. Uh, you know, I grew up with three. I grew up with three sisters, so wow. you know, I I already knew then, you know, you know how to treat a woman and be respectful, mm-hmm. and um, so it was always uh, in the back of my head and conscious because I had three sisters. Uh, but to see the athletes who, you know, you know, cause I came up when Charles said, I'm not a role model. And there was a big stink of that. Yeah. Uh, but I always knew, you know, going to Carolina, there was a responsibility, you know, not only to the professional teams you represented, but the university of North Carolina, you know, and coach Smith taught us all the time. Not only do you represent the university of North Carolina, you represent your family, your hometown. Uh, when we won the state championship, I could see how it made the city we grew up in um, so proud of the, of the school, being able to win the state championship. So I was always conscious and aware, you know, what responsibilities athletes had um, in their communities. Well, not only that, uh, to honor the people that came before you that fought, you know, whether it's Ali or Arthur Ashe or, you know, there's other people too that, you know, we didn't have this outpouring of support. Like you said, you were ostracized or shunned or marginalized or muted. And now it's so, I wouldn't say it's easy, but it is a hell of a lot easier to speak out and you're actually encouraged to do so now. So you've seen a shift in that area. Now we just need to see a shift in policy changes across the board for the black and brown community. I mean, if you look at what's happened with the LGBTQ community in the last Mm -hmm. four years, we've had more policy changes and more support and rightfully so, Right. Uh, but in the black and brown community, we can't get talks on reparations. I mean, we just there's things that should be happening that just for some reason there's pushback. And it's just, um, you know, we have to keep these conversations going because if we don't get white allies, and like you said, black allies and people in powerful positions, whether it's ownership management positions in sports or, you know, Fortune 500 companies or in in politics, uh, we're not going to get these policy changes in education, healthcare, small businesses, you know, across the board. And it's just grossly unfair, not just fiscally, where blacks still make less than whites with the same degrees and women are worse. But, right. um, you know, just in terms of the perception and just the way that people are treated, some of this, the, the feedback that I get on social media, I'm a nobody. Like, I mean, we've had some great guests, but I'm not, I'm not Colin. I'm not Doug Gottlieb. I'm not, you know. Yeah, we just got to continue to keep having the conversation. I think we can't get comfortable. Yeah. Uh, well, that's know. why I'm glad when people make stupid mistakes, short, anything short of death, because then it allows us to keep talking about it, you know, instead right. of sweeping it under the carpet, you know. Exactly. So let me ask you about mental health before we get to the rapid fire. Um you know, Mike's, I can't tell you how many guys, Major League Baseball players we've had on, NFL players we've had on, uh, and a lot of NBA and WNBA players, uh, you know, obviously Asia Wilson and Kevin Love and a lot of guys, DeMar DeRozan, you know, a lot of guys have come out. How was it with you? You know, you, you come from a stable background, you know, you had balance, uh, but, you know, a lot of people are dealing with mental health issues. And this is another thing. My father committed suicide when I was nine. And so, um, you know, my life was pretty much um, redirected after that in terms of helping people and, you know, wanting to pay it forward and, and, and listening to people in those kinds of spaces. 
But how was it for you and, and what's the difference now, do you, do you think, in those areas of mental health? Well, like you said, um, by those guys, Kevin Love and several other athletes who athletes are always admired and, and looked up to, uh, yeah. for them to come out and, and speak about it. Because you, you look at it, most people look at athletes almost like godly, nothing ever wrong with them. They yeah. make a lot of money. They got a great life. And that's not always true. Uh, and then and then being an African-American growing up uh, in a black community, it was always taboo yeah. to have a kid who was, um, you know, different autism, autistic, yeah. you know, maybe challenged, slow learning. Um, we don't want to say the R word. Yeah. It was always in black communities that was tough to deal with. You know, families will almost want to hide it. Yeah. And, and you were almost, sometimes if there was a kid that was a little challenged, he was almost picked on by his own community. I was going to say he's roasted too, not yeah. just, yeah, not just taboo, yeah. but so roasted. It was, always, yeah. it was always hard. So, yeah. you know, if, if someone, and then being a man, you had to grow up like, men ain't supposed to cry. You ain't supposed to show no sensitivity. It was always tough for at least my experience coming up as a young man. Uh, so, and then if you, you didn't have the means to have a, go talk to a psychologist or a sports psychologist, shoot, even, even, even my years in the NBA, when they brought a sports psychologist in the, in, in the locker room, it was tough even for me to open up and talk yeah. to him. Yeah. So it was always, it's, it's, it's always challenging. It's great to see that people now are, 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 are really, you know, when someone say they got, you know, they need to speak to someone or mental issues, we take it, we, we're taking it serious now. That's good stuff. Talk, so talk about some of the projects you're involved with before we get to the rapid fires that, that people can look into and support. Uh, you know, I am good friends now with Hugh Jackson. He's at, uh, you know, with Eddie George um, at Tennessee State. And, and uh, you know, we're part of a think tank to try and put pressure on um, people in the NFL to hire more African-American coaches. And so that's what we want to do. We want to be a part of the change that we want to see like you with the HBCUs. And so talk a little bit about some of the projects you're involved with so that people can, can, uh, you know, support them. So, so HBCU is HBCU heroes started, you know, I was coaching at Clark Atlanta. Right. And of course I went to a PWI yeah. and it, it's funny because I get asked that question. Why did you go to an HBCU to coach? Why? You know, HBCU gave me the first opportunity to become a head coach. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I enjoy coaching. I enjoy giving back my experiences from high school, growing up as a child. Um, coaches was always that father figure when my father wasn't around. Yeah. You know, they were the mentors. So I've always felt that need to give back. And my two years experience coaching at an HBCU, um, I saw a lot of things that when I was at a PWI, you didn't know existed on an HBCU campus. Mm -hmm. You know, the students have a lot less 
uh, resources. Let people know what PWI is, those that don't know. Oh, predominantly white institutions. Right, yeah. So the resources, um, you know, they play, especially in athletic programs, they play in these large conferences. I I was listening to a radio show. Harvard has a $400 billion or $40 billion endowment. Oh, yeah. And Diller has a hundred million. Right. You know, two extreme well, different worlds. Well, and people think a hundred million is a lot. That the wouldn't that wouldn't even allow the school to survive for two years on exactly. its own. Yeah. Right. And yeah. now during COVID, now during COVID, when you know, the support, the donations aren't coming in, yeah. the PWIs are struggling. So if yeah. a PWI who plays in a power five conference uh, TV deals, you know, merchandise deals. Can you imagine what a HBCU is going through? So those type of things. So we started HBCU Heroes because, you know, Steph Curry gave to to yeah. Howard to start the golf program. Yep. And he didn't go to a PW. I mean, he didn't go to HBCU. HBCU. So what we wanted to do was encourage anyone who wanted to support students, whether they're a student athlete or just a normal student on campus. Um, because you know, they don't they don't get the financial support that the, the other right. schools do yeah and, and most and most students who go to an hbcu are either first generational students right um they work in two or three jobs yep uh, to continue their education and a lot of times when you see where students at hbcu have a lower graduation rate Right. Is because of a financial situation. Absolutely. So we, we, uh, myself, my co-founder Tracy Pennywell, um, we both went to University of Chapel Hill, UNC Chapel Hill, mm-hmm. and we just wanted to do our part and give back, uh, use our resources and our relationships um, at Corporate America to help students with internships. Uh, we give out uh, grants and scholarships to students who participate on the Career Fest on the mm. second Friday of every month. Awesome. Uh, so we, you know, when when COVID hit and the students at HBCUs were sent home, they didn't have computers, they didn't have laptops, they didn't oh. have Wi-Fi. So we sprung into action, raised money to give students and universities laptops to help their students. Um, so we we. Because we're a small pro, uh, organization, we're able to see where the where the challenges are and 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 uh, pivot and try to help students where they where they need to be helped. Uh, amazing stuff! And this is just another level of the system that we have in place, where there's two different sets of, you know, not only institutional rules but just rules in society, and and uh, hopefully. You know our kids, which is really where 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 it matters. You know that will change the future and and bridge some of these gaps that we're talking about. So, do you plan on coaching down the road? Yes, I hope to get back into coaching. Um, you know, with COVID and and things like that, it's it's been tough. Uh, yeah. You know, I would love to get on with an NBA team and be a support and you know yeah. community service, player development, player relations, whatever. Um, um, that would be great. Uh, you know, again, I have a 15 year old, so yeah, I try to get some of his buddies in the gym and share my experiences with them to help them become student athletes at some point. Um, 
So, yeah, I, I, I'm continuing to stay around the game close That's to it. That's cool. Well, the game's better better for it with you in it. And, uh, you know, uh, Mike Longobardi's a good friend of mine. He's been in the NBA a long time and coached him when he was younger. And, and uh, you know, um, Nate Bowie's a, a trainer. He coaches you know, a lot of the NBA and WNBA players. And obviously with your experience, uh, they'd be crazy not to not to, to, to grab you real quick. You know, it's funny. I, I don't understand why some people, you know, get, get, uh, picked up quickly to, to be a part of organizations, you know, like uh, Ruben Boomshe Boomshe was on. And, uh, I mean, his, his analytics and what he does is fascinating. And, you know, I, if I was an NBA team, I would have grabbed him in a, in a heartbeat, but right. you know, he went in a different direction. So it's just interesting. Well, anything we can do, obviously, uh, you know, I've become a little bit of a connector, uh, and any anybody that I talk to that's in those spaces definitely will will uh, hook it up and and you know plant that seed. So all right, let's get to the rapid fire real quick. This or that, buckle your seatbelt. Sports Daily is sponsored by PSK. You can find them online at lids.com, pskcollective.com, tjmax.com, walmart.com, and now Kohl's department store at Kohl's. Kohl's is K-O-H-L-S, Kohl's.com. They have some incredible women's athletic wear that's all-inclusive. And again, you can find them online at five different locations. Lids.com, PSKCollective.com, TJMaxx.com, Walmart.com, and Kohl's.com. And now back to this incredible interview right here in the Sports Deli. Randy Fund or Del Harris's hair? <laughs> you know, I, uh, Randy Fund coached me in his he, he a little bit younger days, so I right. think I'm gonna go with Randy Fund. He had straight <laughs> back, dark hair. When 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 Del Harris coached me, he he was still he he had more white hair than I had. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Larry Brown or Dean Smith? Oh, that's a tough one, man. <laughs> I'm, I got to go with Michelangelo because he taught yeah. Larry Brown everything he knows. Of course. Yeah. Uh, you know, although Larry Brown is the closest thing to Coach Smith. Yeah. How was the coaching with him at SMU? Oh, it was great. Yeah. Um, I was a student. I was like a kid in the candy store watching him wow. make on-the-fly adjustments, uh, watching him teach the game. Hmm. You know, my son at the time was probably seven. My youngest. Yeah. After Coach Brown would, after a long day in the office, he would bring my son in the gym and coach him. Wow. Yeah. He's, I'm glad to see him. I'm glad to see Penny Hardaway picked him up on staff. uh, Because, like you said, Coach Brown is a mind that every coach should spend time Mm. with the way he approaches the game. Yeah, that's 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 amazing. And he said that during the pandemic, he was on a lot of these coaching uh, platforms and just said, hey, I'll go anywhere. I just want to help people and, and be a part of, uh, you know, paying it forward and being part of the game. So that's cool. Penny's doing a good job. All in the family or Sanford and Son? Sanford and Son. Mm. Waffles, French toast or pancakes? Uh, I'm going to go with French toast. I had French toast this morning. <laughs> have you ever had uh french toast with challah with what 
challah. It's a Jewish bread. It's thicker. So if it's got, you got to try it at least once. It, okay. it, it'll change your whole life when you have it with challah. It's, it's unbelievable. Candy or popcorn at the movies? I'm a Reese's Pieces man. Oh, at the nice. Best part about playing at Cameron Indoor? Uh, the best part about playing at Cameron Indoor, getting a win, and watching <laughs> those fans after all those days <laughs> and weeks sitting out for tickets. Watching what, them go home with their head down. What was the most clever thing they did, right? They used to hold up their newspapers, their keys. What was what was the thing that you laughed at the most? They did all the research. They had chance. <laughs> they were in sync. Um, I love those fans. I mean, that was that was probably the hardest thing when I made the jump to the NBA, not having the college atmosphere in the Cameron Indoor crazies. Man, I'll say. Uh, I've shared my story about Cameron Indoor on other shows, but uh, m- maybe another time I'll share it with you. It's very interesting. Uh, Dave Chappelle or Richard Pryor? Man. <laughs> I, Richard Pryor was probably my first comedian I ever listened to. Right. Uh, couldn't, can't watch it. Can't watch Richard Pryor around the kids. Right. So I'm going to go with Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle, <laughs> Dave Chappelle, you know, throws a little knowledge out there for you. No, he does. Well, and he, he had to overcome a lot too with mental health and stuff. So it's, you know, he's, he's on a good path now. Chris Rock or Eddie Murphy? Uh, Chris Rock. Yeah. Okay. Best mama joke. Your mom is so fat. I took a picture of her last Christmas and it's still printing. Your mom is so old. She walked out of the museum and the alarm went off. Your mom is so literal. When I said drinks are on the house, she went and got a ladder. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go, uh, your mom is so big, the printer. Still <laughs> printing. There you go. Okay, so which team would you choose? Isaiah, Kobe, KD, Duncan, and Bill Russell. Team number two, Magic, Steph, LeBron, Carl, and Wilt. Third team, J. Kidd, MJ, Larry, Garnett, and Kareem. Man, I'm a Larry, I'm a Larry Berry fan, man. Ooh. And MJ. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to go with MJ. That's Tar Heel, man. I got to go with MJ. AI or Steph? AI. Wow, really? Yeah. Because I played with AI. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. You know, all those Steph shoots to three, AI ain't going to let you off the hook like that. Yeah, yeah. He won't let you off the hook like that. Yeah. KRS-One or Eric B and Rakim? Uh, Eric B and Rakim. Man, let the rhythm hit him, baby. Yep. Uh, Ice-T, Two Live Crew, or NWA? NWA. <laughs> I got a funny story. Yeah, go on ahead. My recruited, on my re- recruiting visit, the NWA tape came out. <laughs> oh, it was boy. the only tape I had in my pocket. Coach Smith said, you got any music you like to listen to? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I got a tape. And I put it in. Oh my God. And Coach Smith, no, he actually loved the beat. Right. He didn't think he didn't think too much of the lyrics though. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's classic. <laughs> <laughs> Big Daddy Kane, public enemy, LL, or run DMC. Uh, I'm a PE guy. I like public enemy. Yeah. Fight the power. Uh Eminem, Snoop Dogg, Jay-Z, Tupac, Drake, or Kanye? Jay-Z. Yeah. The GOAT, uh, Morgan Freeman or Denzel? Hmm. 
Man, Morgan's still doing it, man. I know he is. Um, I like I um I'm gonna go with Denzel. I was just watching Equalizer. Yeah, that's solid. White men can't jump. Hoosiers, blue chips, Space Jam, or loving basketball. Well, you know I'm in blue chips, so yes, that's right. But <laughs> but but I like white man can't jump. How was Nick Nolte? Oh, it was great. It was great, yeah. man. He was he was uh you know, it was funny because him and Bobby Knight, Bobby Knight, if you, Nick Nolte won the game, but in real, in real time, right. yeah. Bobby Knight won the game. He wouldn't yeah. let Nick Nolte win. He wouldn't play along with the, <laughs> with the writers. Oh my God, that's classic. <laughs> <laughs> if you had a pet parrot, what would you teach it to say? Huh? Nobody's home. <laughs> <laughs> If you're eating dinner with your partner, do you order to share or do you want your own food and don't like sharing? Uh, I share, but I would order my own not to share. Interesting. If animals could talk, would you rather hear a rhino, alligator, or a flamingo talk? Uh, a rhino. <laughs> <laughs> All right, a couple more. Uh, <clears throat> superpower. Would you be uh, prefer to fly, have supersonic hearing, or be invisible? Fly. Okay, if you could have any four people at your dinner table, past or present, who would they be? Um, let's see. Of course, Dean Smith. All right. Uh, Bobby Bowden just passed away. Bobby Bowden. Wow. I'm a big, I'm a Florida State football fan. Wow. Yeah, I'm a Florida State football. I was, I was a big fan of Charlie Ward coming through mm -hmm. in the '90s. Two sport athlete, yeah. Heisman Trophy winner. Yep. Yep. Um, wow. Who else? I get four. Not Obama. Mm, I'll say Michelle Obama. Okay. And Holly Berry. Interesting. That's cool. Okay, well, uh, the floor is yours. Anything else that, that uh, you want to share in, in terms of uh, anything you're doing or message? We've been in 27 countries, and uh, we're honored that you shared space with us. We, we want to create safe spaces and uh, give perspective on some of these issues and have a little fun at the same time. So uh, really genuinely appreciate anybody that comes on and uh, talks to us about some of these issues that are not always easy to talk about. I think global warming is a big issue. I was just spent some time um, NCS the Keys with the family and they had a red tide going on and watching wow. the fish wash up on shore it was it was it was very disheartening and um, you know we got to we got to do better. For sure. Well, I wish your daughter the best of luck in her decision and uh, uh, is your is your 15 year old uh, is is he have the potential to to play D one ball? What's he? What is that? His aspirations? Yeah, he definitely have the potential. Um, yeah, you know, I'm an old school guy, so just putting in a little bit more work, um, yeah. you know, getting after it a little bit harder. Yeah, I think he'll be fine. He's gonna be. He's a great little player. He just got to believe in himself. So he's, he's a total package. He got your height. Yeah, he's about six three, fifteen. Ooh. uh he has a sweet j nice uh so you know that that's one thing he does do better than his dad he shoots the three ball 
I mean, that's just a product of your times. There's nothing you could have done about that. I mean, it, it wasn't around that long. Well, best of luck to him. We'll keep an eye on him for sure. And and uh, I think the game's in, in good hands. I don't personally like the super teams. I like the way Giannis did it. Um, but the game's exciting. And, um, you know, you were a part of that. And the game will be here long before any of us are here. And we just want to make sure it's left in good hands, which you did. So uh, much respect, much love, mad props to you. And, and uh, continue good health and success. All right. Appreciate it. All right, George. Talk soon, man. Awesome times sharing space with George Lynch, former University of North Carolina Tar Heel, who played for the legendary coach Dean Smith and uh, later in the NBA for 12 seasons uh, for several different teams uh, and played under Larry Brown, went to the NBA Finals uh, with the Allen Iverson-led Philadelphia 76ers and then later coached with Larry Brown at Southern Methodist University. And uh, as you heard, coached at Clark University and hopes to get back in college or preferably in the NBA as uh, a player development coach. Uh, we hope you enjoyed uh, this podcast. You can always send us an email to thesportsdeli at gmail.com. For Dr. J and Coach K, I am Hootie Hoop. Until next time, please mask up whether or not you're going to get vaccinated. The most important thing is that you do mask up and stop the Asian hate. Remember, Black Lives Matter. Check out Justice for Julius. If you haven't heard about that case, it's been on death row for 20 years for something that I personally believe that he didn't do after watching the three-part uh, miniseries. If you have a chance to go check that out and uh, offer your support for Julius. And... Um, Stay safe, and remember it takes a village. Much love. Peace.